Now, we are in week five of our series, What Makes You Happy? And I'd like to dive in today with our big idea this morning. And here it is, right here, to first fill in. God created you to experience happiness and pleasure. Uh, You can put it in your program or on our app. Happiness is our big idea that we've been talking about. And today I want you to know that God has created you to experience it. Folks, God is not some old curmudgeon that sits up in heaven and he looks down at all of us and says, how can I make their life miserable? How can I just, you know, cause them suffering? How is it that I could make them unhappy? A lot of people think that's who God is. That's not who God is. God's actually quite happy. Every moment of every time of his existence, he's been filled with joy, and he looks down, and he says, I want you to be able to experience pleasure and happiness in your own life. Now, there is a relationship that we're going to talk about today between pleasure and happiness. But to get there, I want to begin by sharing with you a story that Jesus gave to us. One day, Jesus was teaching, kind of like I am today, but people were not following him. They weren't tracking. Now, that never happens here, does it? I mean, you never have that issue. You all the time are always focused, laser focused in that. Well, we've taken some pictures of people over the last few weeks. We haven't told you about it. But we actually found the most alert person during the teaching. And it came out that it was my dad. And here's a picture of him. I mean, my own flesh and blood's falling asleep. You know what I mean? It's like this big, you know, fly trap that he's got his mouth open so wide uh, because he's so tired. Well, the same thing. Jesus is teaching to a group of people, and they're just not tracking him. They're just not quite following him in the midst of this. So he decided that he would change and give a word picture in the middle of the teaching to try to get everyone's attention back on what he was talking about. And as he's preaching, he shares a statement that kind of sets up what we're going to talk about today. And this is what Jesus said. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Now, when Jesus refers to the thief, what many people would interpret this as is Satan. And that's a good interpretation. It's it's just fine. But when you look at the context of what's kind of going on here, What Jesus is saying is that within this context, he's referring to anybody, anybody, any person who steps into your life and steals something or kills something or destroys something in your life. Any person that does that creates a poison within you that Steal something, kill something, and destroy something. Now, here's the tricky part, and I just want you to know straight up, right at the beginning, what I'm going to share with you next, you're not going to like very much, okay? 
So the next couple of minutes are kind of be a downer. I'm sure you're glad you came to church today. But uh, I want you to kind of understand this is just true, and I want to craft it kind of in a question. And here's the question. Who in your life has the greatest potential to steal your future from you, kill a relationship, or destroy your life? Who in your life has the greatest potential to steal your future or to kill a relationship or to destroy your life? And the truth is, folks, every single person in this auditorium, you know the answer. You know exactly the answer of who this person is. It's actually a person that you see every single day. You look in the mirror, and who is it? Here's the answer. Who is it? Who? No, not me. You. No, it's you. You, more than any other person in your life, has the ability to steal your future, to kill the relationships around you, and to destroy your life. It's so easy. And the reality is, is that many of us give in to this thief ourselves all the time. In fact, this is the way that we say it in our culture. I am my own worst what? Enemy. I am my own worst enemy. So, here's the bad news that we just have to say right up front, but it's true. You, and you, and you, and all of the yous up in the balcony, you guys are your own worst enemy. I mean, there is no one who has done more to undermine happiness in your life than yourself. And here's how I know it. Because you bought it, you leased it, you ate it, you smoked it, you drank it, you dated it. And some of you slept with it. And some of you have actually married it. Okay? No. You all did this to yourself. And when you think about it, all the unhappiness in your life, this is the truth, folks. When you think of all that unhappy stuff, the common denominator in every single thing that has created unhappiness is who? You and me. And as much as we want to blame other people for the fact that we're unhappy, the truth is you are your own worst enemy. And Jesus says, the thief, the thief is the one that comes into your life and steals something. He steals your future. Kills something. Kills a potential relationship. And he has the ability, yourself, to destroy your life. So folks, in some capacity, every single one of us have been the thief in our life. And then Jesus makes this extraordinary, extraordinary statement. He goes on to say the the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they. What's that they about? 
he says, I have come, not like the thief, but, but I've come so that they. What's the they? Well, the they is the first century people uh, that he's talking to and that people would have heard this story. But also, they is me and they is you and they is we. And then he goes on to say, I have come that they may have life. He says, I've come that you might have life. Now, when Jesus said this, apparently, he did not get the response that he was hoping from the crowd. Because some of them weren't tracking him, and some of them were like falling asleep. And part of it was because he was talking about this whole thing about sheep and shepherds just before this. And they're trying to track him. They're like, who's the sheep and who's the shepherd? And we just don't get any of this. So he kind of adds this little phrase, and he says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the, what's it say? To the full. He says, I've come that you would have a full life, an abundant life, other translations say. I've come that you would have an abundant, amazing, full, super life. That's why I've come. And the life that I want to give you is so much better than just an average life. I want to give you the kind of life that when people meet you, they're like, wow. Every time that a person meets you, they're like, hey, there's something different about that person. And the reason you're different is not because that you haven't gone through hard times. It's not that you haven't had your own share of troubles. It's not that you've gotten everything that you've wanted in life. The truth is, the difference is that there's something about them that's different on the inside, regardless of how difficult it may be in their circumstances. And Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and they would have abundant, full, extraordinary life. And then he makes this next statement. And he says this, I am The good shepherd. Now, for those of us who are here right now, we're like shepherd and sheep, and I, you know, we don't talk about that. I don't know. But if you were in the first century and you heard someone say, there's someone that's good, that's a shepherd, now all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I woke up. Just like some of you just did, okay? And they like woke up and they're like, whoa, this is intriguing. And, And they start saying, so now you're talking about sheep, now you're talking about shepherds. We get that now. Now, you're good. Like, how good are you, Jesus? Like, if you're a shepherd, how good are you? And he's like, well, I'm really good, and I'm so good that I'm good enough to help you not just have an average life, but for you to actually have an abundant kind of life. And then he goes on to say this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, for those of you who are not Christians, who have uh, maybe drifted away, maybe you've kind of come back to, to church over this last series, maybe you're here, you guys really, really need to listen to this next thing. So everybody, look up here. L- listen. What I want you to know is that God sent His one and only Son As a good shepherd. But he didn't just stand up and say, hey, I'm good and I'm going to make your life better. And he gave some teachings. He actually did something more than that. It actually says that he would lay down his life 
for his sheep. And folks, anyone who's willing to lay down their life for you is for you. Anyone who's willing to lay down their life for you, they are truly for you. And this stands in total contrast to the thief. The thief does not care about you. The thief is there to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, the good shepherd, I've come. He said, Jesus said, I've come to give, to build, to, to protect all of my sheep. And so you have to make a decision. Am I going to follow the thief? Am I going to follow somebody else or something else or only listen to the person in the mirror? Or will I decide that maybe, maybe Jesus actually is a good shepherd and that he was willing to lay down his life for me because he's for me. Now, the problem with all of this is, again, this passage doesn't make sense to you and I because we don't think about sheep. We don't think about shepherds. It's not a part of our culture whatsoever. Um, And part of the reason... We don't think about it is because if you've ever seen sheep before, you know they're not smart. They're not smart at all. In fact, some people would actually say that sheep are actually quite stupid. And here's why you and I get offended by this. We shouldn't get offended, but we do. And here's why I know we do, because this is it. You bought it, you leased it, you ate it, you drank it, you smoked it, you dated it. And for a lot of you, you're so glad we stopped right there, right? Because if this was a bigger screen, we would have had more of the dumb things that you sheep-like people have done. But we don't have the screen for that. And you're so glad we didn't. Here's the truth and the bottom line for every single person in this auditorium. We have made some bad decisions. I knew you'd like that. I just, that's free. Okay, that's free. Folks, Jesus knows what he's talking about. And he knows that you are your worst enemy. You're your worst enemy. And Jesus says, All of this I'm saying that I'm a good shepherd and I'm sorry that I've offended you by contrasting you to sheep. But now I'm asking you, if you're going to have a shepherd in your life, do you want yourself or someone else or a thief or would you follow me? Now, here's the thing. At times, the reason why we become the thief of our own lives is a little three-letter word. It actually kind of functions as a four-letter word, but we can't say four-letter words in church. So we're going to say this three-letter word that functions like that. One, two, three. What is it? Yeah, sin. And what we've said is that what sin is, is when you do something bad and wrong towards some other person, or you hurt somebody else, or you hurt yourself. And when that happens, when sin comes into your life, we said this, that sin always separates. The thing that sin does is that it always 
separates. We said it separates us from God, it separates us from other people, and it separates us from ourselves. And sometimes our sins are out in the open and people see them and it's a mess and it's kind of kind of public. But more often than not, this is what I found with many of our sins and pleasures in our life, is that we hold them secret. We'll talk about that in a little bit later in the teaching. But often the reason, folks, why there's trouble in our relationships is because sin always separates relationships. And the separation takes place because sin doesn't know anything else except to steal and kill and destroy. And any time sin comes, even secret sin that we try to hide and we try to keep from other people, it always creates damage. And even if it's a secret, there are times in which we look in the mirror and we think to ourselves, I can't live with myself. I can't live with myself. What I've done, what I've said, I can't live with myself. Folks, sin always separates, it always separates, it always separates. In fact, you could take Jesus' words and where he says, a thief, you could say sin comes to steal and kill and destroy. So, you have an enemy that's out there in the cosmos. You have maybe some enemies that are around you, some thieves, and sometimes the thief is the person that you look at in the mirror. And consequently, if you don't do anything to change this, be very, very careful. What will happen is you will undermine your happiness. Every time that you do this, you will undermine your happiness. Now, the truth is, every single person in this auditorium, every single one of us, have had many, 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 Sinful, stupid, sheep things that we've done. But why is that? Why is it that for some of us, we do the same thing over and over and over again? Like you started in your 20s doing this one thing, and then it came to your 30s and 40s and 50s, 60s. Maybe some of you are in your 70s, and you keep doing the same stupid thing over and over again. You know why? Because we're like sheep. We just sometimes keep following whatever the thief says. Well, part of it, I think, that we do this, in fact, I think this is where confusion comes a lot, is with these two key words right here, pleasure and happiness. And the reason why is because many times we choose pleasure over happiness. We choose our pleasure over a biblical kind of happiness. Now, you don't have to agree with this next statement that I'm going to make, okay? I just want you to know you don't have to. You can disagree, but it doesn't make it any less true. God created you to actually experience both of these things. God created you to experience both pleasure and happiness. God created you to have full pleasure in your life and to experience happiness. I mean, God created sexual pleasure. He just kind of made it up. It's like at the end of the creation story, and he gets to the end, and he's like, I've got a great idea. 
And the angels are there, and they're kind of like, well, what is it? What is it? And he's like, well, you guys wouldn't really understand, but uh, I'll try to explain it. You see all the animals that are out there? You see how they're reproducing with each other? Well, I'm going to give now a something, something to the human beings. And they're like, really? And they're like, yep, that's what's going to happen. And he says, you know what? It's going to bring them so much pleasure and so much happiness, at least for the men. And, you know, uh, then, you know, it's going to create so much. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. But this thing that I'm making that creates so much pleasure and so much happiness is going to cause a lot of pain and hurt. And people are going to get in trouble with this. But I'm still going to do it. And so in some capacity, out in the cosmos of the world, God created sexual pleasure. I want you to know this, folks, that God is not like anti-pleasure or anti-sex. He's he's pro that when it's done in the right way and it creates great pleasure and happiness when it is. And the problem is, is that where we prioritize things chooses whether, whether we just have pleasure or we just have happiness. And it's all about prioritizing these two words. And it's been my experience, and I think it's been the experience of many human beings, is that when you prioritize pleasure over happiness, when you prioritize pleasure over happiness, you don't get either. That's the problem. When you ultimately place a pleasure over the happiness that God has created, you get neither. Because this is what happens. Eventually, pleasure loses its pleasure and it becomes a what? A prison. Every time that you put pleasure above happiness, pleasure loses its pleasure and it becomes a prison because of the law of diminishing returns. First it just took one drink. And then it took two drinks, and then all of a sudden it took three, and then it took four drinks, and then all of a sudden you're yelling at people, and you wake up the next morning, and you don't even know what you did or said last night, because you gave in to your pleasure, and your pleasure led you into a prison. What happened? Every single time you do that, every single pleasure, every single legitimate pleasure, when you give yourself into it, it becomes your master. It becomes the priority, and pleasure loses its pleasure, and it becomes a prison. And many times, folks, these aren't things illegal. These aren't things that are immoral. These aren't even things that are wrong. But in your life, every time that we prioritize pleasure over happiness and we go against the principles of happiness, we get neither. And we've talked about happiness and what those principles are over the last few weeks. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about it. Now, there's another guy who comes 25, 30 years later. He writes about half of the New Testament. And when it comes to this whole issue of pleasure, he he kind of focuses in, and this is what he says. Paul writes these words. Don't you realize? He's like, come on, peeps. 
Don't you get it? Don't you realize? Don't you understand that you have become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Whatever it is, whether it's a person, yourself, a substance, something else, whatever it is, if you choose to prioritize it, it actually becomes a slave. Every time that you say, yes, 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 I want this, I want this, I want this, you actually give yourself to someone or something else, you are slaves to that thing that you obey. In other words, if you continue to say yes to your pleasure over and over and over and over and over and over again, you didn't realize it, but you actually are becoming a slave to it. Now, many of you don't like this, and so you're sitting there and you're like, I'm not a slave to it. I choose it. And Jesus would say, that's exactly my point. Paul would say, that's exactly my point. Don't you realize that every time you choose the same thing over and over and over again, you're no longer choosing it, but it's choosing you. It's drawing you. You are giving up control. You are behaving like a slave. You're eventually behaving as if you have to have this rather than I want it. And then he goes on to say these words. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or, he says, or there's a a different way, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Folks, this is the truth. Sin always kills. Sin always kills. It always destroys something. It kills something. It kills who you are, the way you see yourself. Sin kills marriages. Sin kills the relationship with your kids. Sin kills relationships with your friends, your family, your co-workers, your boss. Sin always comes out to try to kill some stuff. Because whenever there is sin, folks, what you'll find is something that is dying. So, so he says you're going to have to Choose sin, you have a choice, you can choose sin, or you can choose the alternative. You can choose to obey and follow God with righteous living. Now, the problem with that word righteous is that we don't know what it means. But righteous or righteousness means that I have a right relationship with God. It doesn't say perfect, it says I have a right relationship with God because of my relationship with Christ. You are in right standing with God. And Paul says, look, don't you realize that every single day, every moment of your life, you walk through and you have a choice. You can choose to be a slave to sin. You can choose to be a slave to someone or something. You can choose to say yes, 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 over and over again. And when you do, you are giving up your freedom. You are giving up control. You can do this with pleasure, he says. You can take a pleasure in your life and just allow it to consume you, and it becomes your master, and you can become a slave. 
Or, or you can lean into and say, no, 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 I got to be a slave to something, but I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to be a slave to God and I'm going to live righteously with him. Jesus' way of saying it is this. You can follow me because I'm a good shepherd. And in week one, we said this, that if you want happiness in your life, this is the key to it. You become a person who's at peace with yourself. You're at peace with others, and you're at peace with God. And every single happy person you know who you ever see, if they have true, genuine peace, they have a stable table of life. They are secure in who they are because they're at peace with themselves, they're at peace with God, and they're at peace with others. And Paul says, don't you realize, don't you understand that anything, anything that you say yes to over and over and over again, anybody that you say yes to over and over again, even if it's a toxic relationship, you become a slave to that thing or to that person. So, if you say yes to a pleasure over and over and over again, you become a slave to that pleasure. And when pleasure takes precedence over the principles of happiness, when that takes place, when you put pleasure above happiness, you get neither pleasure nor happiness. Jesus' way of saying it is simply this. I have a different way, and this is it. And he says this. We go to the next one. Jesus says this. If you sow better, though, if you reap better, you're going to feel better. It's difficult because we want pleasure, but he says, no, no, no. If you don't choose pleasure, if you choose my happiness and you sow better, it's going to help you to reap better and you will actually feel better. And here's why this is so important. Because here's where you and I get into trouble all the time with this issue of pleasure and happiness. We're going through life and all of a sudden we get unhappy. We're like, I'm not very happy right now and I don't like the way that I'm feeling So I'm going to do something to make myself happy. And we go and do something and then we get into trouble. I'm unhappy, so I'm going shopping with money that I don't have. I'm unhappy, so I'm going to go eat. I'm unhappy, so I'm going to go drink. I'm unhappy, so I'm going to go smoke this thing. I'm unhappy, so I'm going to the casino to gamble. I'm unhappy, so I'm going to go and take this pill. I'm unhappy, so I'm going to spend all Saturday binge-watching something on Netflix. And you do this all the time. I'm unhappy, so I'm going to start lying. I'm going to start gossiping. It makes me feel better. I have pleasure when I do this. And here's what Jesus says. If you want true happiness, folks, there is no quick fix to it. You sow better. You sow, you sow, you sow. You reap better. But it takes time. Folks, every single person who is sitting in a seat right now, you know in your life what you reach out to when you're unhappy. When you're unhappy, you know that thing that you reach out and every time 
You obey that inclination, whatever it is, you ultimately undermine your happiness. A few years ago, I got a phone call from the office and my secretary said, hey, there's a lady on the phone and she's just crying. I I can't even understand her. And I said, well, I'll, I'll talk to her. And so I started to talk to her and she's just bawling. She's like, I just have to meet you at IHOP for breakfast tomorrow. And I didn't know this lady. I didn't even know her name. And she said, please just meet me, gave me the time. And most of the time, I would never do this. But there was just something in the way that she was crying that I, I sensed that I should be there. And so I said, well, uh, let me kind of find out. But, uh, but for right now, let's just plan on doing that. And so I went to my leadership team and I said, hey, there's a woman and she's crying. She seems like she's overwhelmed. She called the office and uh, I want to go, but I need, you know, some of your advice. And they said, well, why don't you go and meet with her? Because I said, you know, I feel a prompting that God really wants me to be there. And they said, well, when you get there, first of all, tell Jen, let her know. And then we'd like you to just shoot us a text when you're going to be there and when you leave. I said, no problem. So I get to IHOP. I don't know what this lady looks like. And she stands up, waves. I go to the table. I sit down. She was a woman who was older than me, about the same age as my parents at the time, late 60s, early 70s. And we sit down at this table, and there's no small talk, and this is what she says. My husband has gambled away our life savings. He's actually gambled away $450,000. She says he goes to the Anderson Casino. He was going to other casinos. I didn't realize that, and absolutely nothing's there anymore. The only thing that we have is our house now and my car. And I just found out that he actually mortgaged our house. And she goes, you know what? And it's not like he doesn't have a good job. He has a good job. He's still working. He makes over $100,000 a year. And she's sharing all of this with me. And then she said, what do I do? And I sat down with her and I'm sitting across from her and I'm like, you know, this is really big. And so I prayed for her and I encouraged her. I said, you know, you need to get some help. You need to come to celebrate recovery. We have a great recovery place for you to do that. And, and I followed back up with her and she never answered my call. And I never saw the woman after that. But this is what that illustration taught me, folks. Every time that you put your pleasure, and that's what this man did, he put his pleasure above his marriage, you get neither. And the pain and the hurt that was in this lady's voice was just unfathomable to me. And the destruction, not only to them, but anything that they would ever give to their family, is destroyed, it's gone, because he chose pleasure over biblical happiness. Now, some of you are sitting there right now and you've already kind of like gone out and you're like, well, I wouldn't do that. That's stupid. I would never gamble away my whole life's fortune. But this is what I know about human beings. And I would say this, don't be too quick to judge. You might not gamble your money away, but some of you gamble things away all the time. You gamble with your pleasures. And so I'd like to wrap up this part of the teaching by simply giving you a probing question that I want you guys to answer. 
You actually owe it to yourself to answer this question. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian or you drifted away from God and you're just drifting back. You need to answer this question. It's a question that only you can answer. And if you don't answer, only a thief would not answer this question. Only a thief, you know, kills relationships. Only a thief steals our future. Only a thief destroys you. So here is the question. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for this question? Here's the question. Is there a pleasure that's undermining your happiness? Is there a pleasure that's undermining your happiness? Or another way to say it, is there a pleasure that's slowly taking you prisoner? It may be something legal. It may be something illegal. It may be something moral. It may be something immoral. Maybe some of you know what it is, but you've been holding it as a secret. Most of us, when we have a pleasure that actually consumes our life, we hold it as a secret. We we try to hide it from other people. Maybe it's a sin in your life that you're hiding. Maybe no one knows, but it's... The truth is, it's undermining your happiness. A few years ago, there was a guy by the name of uh, Frank Warren who did this project called the Post-Secret Project. And what he did was he took 3,000 postcards and he sent them out to people and people could bring them back anonymously. He was in Washington, D.C., so he actually went to the subway station and put them there and then he actually went and put them in library books and he would put them in art galleries and then people could send anonymously whatever it was back to him. And he didn't think he would get that many and one day he goes out to his mailbox and it's full of all of this stuff and what he had asked them to do was to share with them whatever secret sin or secret pleasure that you kept to yourself that no one knows but you know. And people started sending in pictures and writing things on it and showing all of the different pleasures that they had kept secret to themselves and put it above happiness. And right now I'd like you to take a look at a video of some of those postcard secrets. I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair, full of broken thoughts I cannot repair. Beneath the stains of time, the feeling disappear you are someone else I am still right here what have I become my sweetest friend everyone I know goes away 
today. Each one of you received a postcard that looks like this. And I'd like you to pull it out for a second. And it says right here, today I let go of this pleasure so I can be truly happy. And what I'd like you to do is to take a moment and to actually write down what is that pleasure that you have been choosing over happiness and to write it down. And I want you to keep your eyes on your own paper, and we'll turn the lights down here in a second to give you a chance to do that. And what we're going to do is then we're actually going to actually say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm actually going to give it into the trash can. And we actually went out and we bought six trash cans that actually have lids. There's four down here, and then there's two upstairs in the balcony so that no one can see what's behind you, but what is that pleasure that you are choosing over happiness? Maybe it's shopping when you don't have money to do the shopping. Maybe it's eating something Instead of dealing with your pain. Maybe it's smoking something or drinking something. Maybe you go and you look at porn late at night when everyone else is asleep. But you know it. Maybe it's gambling with money that you don't have. Maybe it's gossiping about every single person in your life. Maybe it's a relationship that's so toxic but you're choosing to stay in it. Maybe it's watching Netflix and getting consumed by social media and staying on it forever. Maybe it's about lying to someone else, but whatever the secret is that you've been placing pleasure over happiness, I'd like you to write it down and then to go to any of these four places that are down here so we can throw it in the trash. And we can say, I'm not going to allow this pleasure to consume me anymore. And I know for some of you, you're like, I don't want to do this. Well, I'm telling you, you want freedom in your life. The first way is, is you say to yourself, I'm giving up this pleasure for true happiness. And I may not do it perfectly, but God, I want this. I, I don't want it in my life anymore. And so I'm going to be the first person to actually write down. I wrote something down on this card. I'm not showing you what it is. And I'm going to go and put it in the trash and we're going to burn this. No one will see it. But there might be freedom in this place like you've never seen before because you simply came as you are to write down what is that pleasure that is stealing and killing and destroying your life. 
So if you would, uh, whenever you're ready, you can write it down, come, put it in here, and then come back to your seats. And while we're doing this, Caleb will be singing over us a song that says, Come as you are, and then we'll close in prayer. So if you would, take some time to do that. I've written mine down, and I'm going to go and put it in there. And whenever you're ready, if you feel open to it, you can do that. There's two up here, two in the back. 